You're listening to the Touch Em Up Podcast. I'm your host, Double M, and on today's episode, we're going to be giving you my breakdown of Whitaker versus Till, Figueredo versus Benavidez 2, and Brunson versus Shabazian, as well as giving you my thoughts on the most recent fight announcements in the UFC. We're back. We're ready to go. Now, let's get this started and step into the ring. All right, guys, how's everybody doing tonight? Um, I hope everything is going well for you. I'm sorry I have not been on the audio podcast in a while. It's been a little over a week. Like I said, we had I've had, you know, some stuff going on. I've had a lot of things I had to, you know, work on. And I've also been working a lot on breakdowns on YouTube. Um, fight breakdowns, post-fight studies, um, singular fighter breakdowns. Um, I have a, I have a Gaethje versus Ferguson fight breakdown. I have a Jan versus Aldo breakdown. I have a Peter Jan um, technical breakdown and, and like fighter analysis with him. I've got a Sterling versus Sandhagen post-fight study and breakdown explaining what happened in that fight and uh, why certain things worked and why some things didn't. And I also have a, uh, what is the most recent one I just put up? Oh, a Habib Nurmagomedov grappling study, which is probably the most in-depth study I've done out of anything I have on YouTube. So if you want to learn about Habib's game, what makes his cage control, his trips, his his top control, his Dagestani handcuffs and Dagestani wrist control, what makes that so special and what are the tiny details he uses to make his grappling levels above the rest, then go ahead and check those out on YouTube. If you want to know the channel, it's the same as the podcast, just a little bit different with the name. Um, go to YouTube, type in T-O-U-C-H apostrophe E-M, U-P exclamation, exclamation, or you know what? No. I'm sorry, it's T-O-U-C-H apostrophe E-M-U-P-P-O-D exclamation, 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 and you'll find all my videos. Some of the audio podcasts are up there as well, but uh, it's it's mainly been fight breakdowns, and I'm going to have a lot more up soon. I think I'm going to be doing a GSP versus Khabib pre-fight like prediction, analysis kind of breakdown, and then maybe a Gaethje versus Khabib breakdown. There, There's a lot of things I have planned and wrestling will be coming back to the podcast. So for my one friend who keeps asking where my wrestling has been, don't worry. Um, next episode, we're definitely going to have some wrestling on there for you. So, um, I don't know what we're going to talk about. Maybe uh SummerSlam. I might delve into that a little bit, maybe a, you know, just talking about wrestling in general, but guys, to be honest, I mean, Raw and SmackDown haven't really been much of anything lately. You know, in the last month, month and a half, it's kind of just been, eh. Not to say that there hasn't been good matches and there hasn't been some good stuff going on. But, like, to be honest, I haven't even really fully watched Extreme Rules, and that was, like, two weeks ago. So maybe I'll do, like, a late review on that, but I'm sure you guys wouldn't want that because Extreme Rules happened so long ago. But, uh, yeah, we're going to move back into that. But we have a lot to cover. So, um, I mean, I think first off we should start off with, you know, um, Whitaker versus Till. You know, I think that that fight went exactly how we expected it to go. I think that a lot of people thought Darren Till was going to come in and kind of run right through Robert Whitaker. I think people thought that after the Adesanya fight, he was going to come back and just be a shell of himself. And Till was on the rise. You know, he beat Gastelum. He was going to be able to come in and run right through Robert Whitaker. I didn't expect that. I expected it to be a close fight. Uh, I don't remember my exact prediction. I think I picked Till to win by like a fourth round KO. Oh yeah, and by the way, my fight predictions the last like three weeks have been complete dog shit. 
So if you guys come in thinking that I predict all these fights right and I know everything, no, my fight predictions have been awful. They were good for like two months. I think I was on a little bit of a streak and uh, that streak is definitely over. So, you know, if you, if anybody listened to this and bet on any of the fights with my predictions, um, I'm sorry because the last few weeks have been pretty bad and they would have definitely been bad for your wallet. But yeah, guys, I mean, there, there's so much going on in MMA and obviously the next fight we have coming up um, pay-per-view wise is UFC 252, which is Miocic versus Cormier on Cormier three. It's the trilogy fight. They're one and one Cormier knocked out Miocic at UFC 226 after he exited that clinch exchange, landed that overhand left, I believe, or uh, no, an overhand right as he exited the clinch, jumped on him and landed some ground and pound, got the finish. Then in the second fight, I believe it was a fourth round TKO for Miocic. He kept slipping the jab of Cormier and ripping that left hook to the body. It was working over and over again. Then the body shots caused him to defend low and got him to reach out because Cormier likes to reach out with his hands, you know, keep the opponent at a distance, kind of reach out and then, you know, touch, 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 pop, pop, pop. Um, when he would reach out with his hands, that gave Stipe the opportunity to slip off and land that hook to the body. So he would, he would, uh, he would like touch, 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 slip, left hook. And it was landing every time. Cormier doesn't really know how to block body shots. I'm not saying he can't physically do it. Obviously he's a multiple time world champion, a double champion, but, uh, you know, he can do it. He just, in certain fights, he gets, he reaches just like against Jones, how he would lean over. He leaned to his left and, uh, that that set up with the right high kick of John Jones. He would lean over, boom, got caught with the high kick in their second fight that they had at UFC 214. You know, he has tendencies. And uh, the body shots, and I might have already talked about this on another podcast that I did, but the body shots are always going to be a problem for DC. Um, the, the biggest opportunity I think he has to, to you know, make those those body shots irrelevant and to really just, like, shut those down would be to uh, get in the clinch. I think he needs to get in a clinch, but he has to set it up, you know, right. And the way Cormier likes to set up his clinches is he might go bop, 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 throw some punches, get like a single collar, go with an uppercut and then enter in to uh, punches from that single collar and then shoot a takedown. He can fake enter in on a single leg, do the high crotch lift and dump like he did against Stipe in their second fight. But if I have to give like an early prediction for that fight, I mean, I'm excited to see it. I think it's going to be a good fight, but I honestly just think that Stipe is going to, I think Stipe is going to win. And I think it's going to be very similar to the second fight. I mean, there's not very much you can do to defend the body shots with the way Stipe was setting them up. I mean, Cormier reaches the same way in every one of his fights. And I love DC. I've always been a fan of DC. If there's anybody I wanted to beat John Jones, it was Daniel Cormier. Um, I, I like the way he fights. Um, I think he just goes in there and he's a gamer. He, he never tries to take rounds off. He tries to, you know, push the pace and get you out of there. And for a heavyweight, that's, a, that's something that a lot of guys can't do. So I think that the real key for Miocic is to land um, multiple shot combinations, just pop, 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 and then um, get Cormier to reach, slip over, and land that left hook to the body. And then the left hook to the body, the more he lands, it's going to set up the shots up top to the head. And the funny thing about it is, I don't think Stipe started landing shots to the body until like the third round. And then the fourth round is when he got the, when he got the knockout. But the second, those, the, the second or third or fourth hook to the body landed and he really dug it in. You saw Cormier just kind of go, every time the body shot was landing, he was just, Ugh! and you saw him kind of freeze up with one of those body shots. And that's when Stipe faked it, came over the top with the right hand, um, heard him, put him up against the fence, landed some shots from that, like, 
um, overhook clinch where he has the overhook on the one arm, landing the shots up top, and then he finished him from there. So, you know, it, it is what it is. And I think, uh, I really think that Cormier, it's going to be an uphill battle. He probably has to resort to his wrestling. I think if he wrestles from bell to bell, I think he can get Stipe out of there. But the problem with that game plan is I don't necessarily see Stipe Miocic getting finished from the ground, whether it's from, um, you know, full mount or anything. I don't really see him getting submitted. I, I don't really see him getting TKO'd. So I'm leaning towards, you know, Stipe Miocic to win that fight. Obviously, I'll have a deeper breakdown when we get closer to the fight. I believe it's on August 15th, so in around 10 days. In about a week, expect uh, a breakdown of that card. But yeah, let's get back to uh, let's get back to the other fights. Let's talk about um, Till versus Whitaker because there was some really, really good um, technical things that happened in that fight. And I think um, it's very important to cover the technical aspects of that fight because some people think you know, it was boring. There wasn't really much going on in that fight to begin with. And I'm like, you know what? Here's the thing though. Like you guys can't really call that fight boring. That was a technical chess match. And I, I have, um, a couple of people who tell me that you say every fight's a chess match. You say every technical fight is a chess match. Well, in the case of Whitaker and Till, I mean, that's exactly what that was. That was, that was a, that was two of the highest level strikers in mixed martial arts, um, going up against each other. And, uh, you know, seeing who was the better chess match, who was better at the chess match, who was going to, you know, get the checkmate in the fight. And, uh, you know, at the end of the, at the end of the day, it was Robert Whitaker. And, uh, it's not to say Till didn't do a very good job because he did. I think Till had some very, very good, um, attacks and very good offense in the fight, especially with the, um, elbows. I think the elbow from Till um, the step-in right elbow was probably his best weapon in the fight. Um, aside from that, or it was actually a left elbow. Yeah, the step-in left elbow as Whitaker tried to bum rush in and close the distance, that was probably his best uh, weapon that he used throughout the fight. Um, you know, Whitaker, I think there was a there, the biggest weapon for him, in my opinion, was the left hook. I think the left hook coming in and uh, trying to bum rush and then land that hook over the top of the jab of Darren Till was a big weapon. Um Going to clinch exchanges, you know, going to a single leg takedown, then breaking off and trying to land that left hook over the top because he knew that Till was going to be focusing on the takedown. His head was going to be up. He was going to be pushing away. So the chin would be exposed. The chin's exposed. You come in, you let go of the takedown, and you break with strikes. You're probably going to land the strike. Um, Whitaker did, like I said, resort to his wrestling a little bit more in this fight than other performances that he's had. And I think that worked because it made the 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 takedown entries, even if he didn't get the takedowns, made the striking of Whitaker trickier and made it harder for Till to uh, recognize the uh, to recognize what when when defense when offense was coming in when it was going to be wrestling when it was going to be grappling the the transitions between striking and grappling were really the key for Whitaker. I mean, the key for this fight obviously was uh, outside lead foot dominance. Who is going to have the better opportunity to uh, get the angle to the outside foot? Because when you fight orthodox versus southpaw, which is a left lead foot versus a right lead foot, the southpaw fighter is going to have an easier time getting that right foot on the outside of your left lead foot, which is going to, one, you know, 
shut down the jab because if they throw the jab, you're kind of already slipping out to the outside of it. And that is also going to set up your straight left hand down the center. And with the orthodox fighter, he has to take a, he has to take like two steps. The southpaw fighter has to take one step, usually with a check right hook to get to the outside and then slam that left hand down the center. With the orthodox fighter, he against the southpaw, he might have to take one step, which would go toe to toe with the opponent, then take another step to get the angle. So the southpaw guy throws that hook step gets the angle. When the orthodox fighter goes against the southpaw, he steps, then steps again to get the outside angle. So it's easier. It's an easier path for the southpaw fighter to get that outside foot, especially if he fights at a long distance. Um, you know, Whitaker was kind of using like that, that, um, slip jab where he kind of gets like lowered into his stance, almost kind of looks like a shoulder roll. You know, he's lowering his level. looks like he can go for a takedown. looks like he can go up top and then he'd throw that jab. Um, the one thing in the first round that till landed was the left elbow. And a lot of people thought it was just a clash of heads, but as Whitaker stepped in to try to throw that jab till had the right outside foot, as he stepped in, he faked boom, landed the left elbow and it caught Robert Whitaker right on the chin. So as he tried to come in and bum rush, Till kind of framed off and boom, landed that left elbow that dropped Whitaker in the first round, probably gave the first round to uh, Till. You know, I had it up, I had him up with the first round. And then, um, you know, the second round came out and uh, Whitaker was doing good with the elliptical uh, kick to the thigh, the front leg side kick to the lead leg of Darren Till. Um, you know, they were opposite stances. I think I said something that he wasn't going to be able to land that kick because of the opposite stance or no, I said that he could throw that lead leg side kick, but it was going to be a little bit, it was going to be a little, um, harder and a little bit more dangerous for him to land that against Till because when you throw that lead leg side kick, if the opponent can time that step that, that your step in, he can angle off a little bit, which is going to make the kick go past that lead leg. And it's also going to run you right into that straight left hand or right hand if you're a southpaw and the opponent's orthodox. But, you know, that worked pretty well. And uh, that was, you know, Whitaker was very good at kind of waiting until Till got off balance and then landing that left hook. The left hook was the biggest weapon for Robert Whitaker. And uh, there was a point where Whitaker or Till tried to fake like in the southpaw with that lead leg sidekick, that lead leg sidekick fake is just used to close the distance and get closer to the opponent. He tried to go with that left elbow. Whitaker slipped off to his left side to avoid the elbow, pushed till to his right or the left of Whitaker kind of knocked him off balance that moved him right into the left hook. And he caught him flush on the chin and then stunned him by moving by slipping as Till went to throw that elbow, you're loading up that left hook, hip, number one. Number two, um, the opponent's going to miss, which is probably going to direct him towards that left side because you're ducked down in a in a stance. Whitaker pushed him off to his left with that right hand, like almost like an underhook, pushed him. And then as he moved towards the left, Whitaker came up with that left hook and cracked Till right on the chin. It was a vicious, vicious left hook. Um, so I had it 1-1. First round went to Till. Second round went to Whitaker. Um, and, and from there, from then on, um, Till did get dropped with a right hand. And a lot of, I heard some people say that it looked like he got knocked off balance. Um, I don't think that was the case. I think, I think he was a little bit off balance because he tried to counter Whitaker moving in and throw that straight left hand to catch him as he was coming in. But that didn't really work because, um, Till 
was uh, already off balance because Whitaker was too close to him to be able to land the left hand. So he came over the top with that right hand, kind of like a corkscrew right hand. That's almost what I would say because when Whitaker throws his right hand, he doesn't throw it like a straight punch. He throws it more like an overhand, but it looks straight. But when he lands it, like I said, it's almost on a corkscrew. So he comes in and boom, just kind of turns it over, like turning the key and bah, and boom, catches you on the, on the chin. I think he caught him a little bit behind the ear and it was a little bit of you know, a push off balance, but either way, um, Whitaker wins that fight via, I believe it was a unanimous decision. 48, 47, um, resorted really well to his wrestling. Um, every time they would get in close to the cage, Whitaker would try to tie him up and either go for a single leg or, um, or, you know, dump, uh, push him up against the fence into a double leg just to kind of take away some of the distance and some of the range. And, uh, you know, the biggest weapon for Whitaker, I think, was the left hook over the, the right jab of Darren Till, you know, slipping, coming over the top with that left hook. Um, Till was very good at managing range and controlling the distance as well, though, because he knew he was very good at knowing where Whitaker was going to be. And it was basically because he was using so many feints. You know, he would fake with the lead hand, fake with the lead hand, use that slap check right hook to step off to the off to the side land the straight left hand fake step boom land that left hand fake boom step land the elbow and it was really Whitaker having to be able to figure out okay is he gonna throw is he gonna throw an elbow is he gonna throw a straight punch is he gonna just fake and tie up with me like he did against Gastelum it was a lot of thinking but Whitaker eventually just figured it out the longer the fight went Whitaker was able to decide like okay um, the left hook's probably my biggest weapon that's where I'm going to be able to resort and get the most success. Um, throw the throw the hook over the jab of Darren Till. Make sure if he pulls away to uh, you know kind of kind of crouch down, come in, fake a takedown, and come over the top. Um, and for Darren Till, um, he did good as well. Um, some decent low kicks. Uh, Whitaker was able to land on the on the legs of Till. You know, inside and outside low kicks, and then obviously that knee stomp, which is what caused Till to uh, tear up his knee. So Till will be out of action for a long time. I believe he. I believe he had a minor MCL tear from those front leg uh, stomps to the knee, which is kind of payback, not for um, Till, but, you know, kind of payback for Whitaker because Yoel Romero did that same thing to Robert Whitaker and uh, hurt him with that stomp to the knee. So, you know, that is what it is, but Whitaker gets the win and he's going to be fighting Jared Cannonier on October 24th, which is also the same date as Habib Nurmagomedov versus Justin Gaethje. Um, that is going to be a phenomenal card. I believe that is UFC 254. No, 255. I think 254 is going to be early in October, maybe like the first or second week of October. And then at the end of October, we get Habib versus Gaethje. But so far for that October 24th card, like I said, we've got Habib versus Justin Gaethje, which is phenomenal. I've talked about that fight a lot on the podcast, though, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. Um, there's also, uh, like I said, now we've got Whitaker versus Cannoneer, which is a phenomenal fight. I'll probably break that fight down um, a little bit closer to the fight, you know, I can give a little bit of, I guess a little bit of analysis on the fight, but that's really not something I'm looking to do today. Well, well, that's something I would like to do a little bit more research on. I know how Robert Whitaker fights. I know how Jared Cannonier fights, but it's been a little bit of a, it's been a little while since we've seen, um, Jared Cannonier. So I'd like to, you know, look into that a little bit more before I give you a breakdown so, yeah, we've got that coming up. I mean, there's Yair versus Sabit, which I believe is on August 29th. And then there's also Anthony Smith versus Alexander Rakic, which is a great fight for light heavyweight Smith trying to come back 
after his loss in May to uh, Glover Teixeira, which is a brutal fight. Um, that's only three months. I wish Smith would have taken some time off, but last time he lost and came back quickly, he got the win over Alexander Gustafson. So who knows? Maybe Lionheart can pull through, but Rakic is definitely not an easy guy to beat. He's very tough, very explosive, a big guy for a 205 pounds. Um, and, you know, speaking of Alexander Gustafson on this Fight Island card with Till and Whitaker, the finale of Fight Island, um, Gustafson lost his heavyweight debut to Fabricio Verdum. Um, Verdum was able to tie him up in a body lock. He got the body lock. He used that lead leg outside reap trip where he pushed, he pulled the opponent. He pulled Gustafson over to his left, tripped out that lead left leg and pulled him down to the side. It was kind of like a body lock trip takedown. And then as he went down, he grabbed the single leg. He hiked up the single leg to get the back. Um, pulled the opponent down to the ground, eventually got into a guard position and was able to uh, get control. Or you know what? I think he got into full mount, um, locked up the arm in like a in like an arm bar position. Um, Gustafson tried to stack him and get out of it. Fabricio was able to roll him back over and uh, extend the arm and get the first round submission. So Fabricio Verdum defeats Alexander Gustafson via a first round arm bar, which is tough for Gustafson in his heavyweight debut, but I'm sure he'll be back and uh, who knows what's going to happen for him next. I would venture to say he probably stays at heavyweight, but you know, with every, with the way everything's been going, who knows, maybe he moves back down to 205, but I think stay at heavyweight. I, I like the heavyweight move for Gustafson. I think he can have a lot of success, even though he lost over doom. I still think he can have a lot of success. If you catch my drift, you know, picking up what I'm putting down, you know, Let's talk about some other fights. I mean, we we haven't covered fights in a while. Like I said, it's been like 10 days. So let's talk about, uh, I mean, what do we got? What do we got? So what other fights were on Till versus Whitaker? Let's see. Uh, Fabricio Verduma, Alexander Gustafson. You know, Mauricio Shogun Hua and Antonio Rogerio Noguera. Um, Mauricio won via decision. It was a crazy fight. It was sloppy. You know, it was just, it was just a, it was just a shit show basically. But we all love shit shows then and here and uh, then and then and now, right? Every once in a while, we like to see just a messy fight, and that's exactly what this was. Um, Shogun Hua won the fight via decision. I don't remember a whole lot of it. It was kind of crazy. You know, there was times when Shogun slipped off of a punch. Um, like threw a punch and slipped. And then there was times when um, they just kind of clashed with each other and got knocked off balance. So it just depends um, how the fight goes. You know, it, it, I guess if you liked it, you liked it. I didn't hate it. It was just kind of something I wasn't really interested in. So I didn't pay much attention to it. Um, Hamzat Chemaev, he won his fight against Rice McGee via a first round KO. Um, like three minutes, nine seconds into the fight. Um, Hamza Chemaev is, I know a lot of people say Habib 2.0 and that is, but that is kind of true. He is a little bit like a Habib Nurmagomedov 2.0, just with the way he uses single leg entries into takedowns, you know, trip takedowns, um, taking the back of the opponent, using the Dagestani handcuff and the wrist ride to control the limbs of the opponent while he has the opponent in kind of like a half guard position. So he ties down the leg, uses the head pressure, ties up the arm, lands vicious punches, and then goes for submissions. In his first fight in the UFC, he got a, he landed a darse choke, got a submission. And in his second fight, he wins via a KO in the first round. So who knows what's going to be next for him? I know he wants to fight like every week, you know, give me next guy, give me next guy. I smash guy, I smash next guy, give me number one. Um, I don't know who's going to be next for him. I would definitely give him somebody decently high ranked. 
Um, maybe you give him, I don't know, where well, he's at 170 pounds, right? Maybe give him Michael Chiesa. Uh, maybe give him Cowboy Cerrone. I wouldn't give Cowboy to Kamzat Shemaev yet. Uh, maybe a guy like Carlos Condit if he still dep- if he still wants to fight. Um, Gunnar Nelson would be a phenomenal matchup. I think that's the one I'd like to see the most would be Gunnar Nelson. I think Hamzat Chamaya versus Gunnar Nelson. Um, the grappling in that fight would be fantastic. We know Gunnar Nelson has really, really solid jiu-jitsu, world-class jiu-jitsu and wrestling. So who knows? But uh, yeah, he gets the win. Um, Alex Oliveira defeats Peter Sabata via decision. That was a decent fight. Um, Paul Craig submits Gadzi Murad Antigulov. Carlos Barza gets the decision over Marina Rodriguez, you know, and on and on and on. So that was really it for Fight Island on the main card. Um, Jai Herbert got knocked out by Francisco Trinaldo in the third round in a fight that it looked like he was cruising his way to a decision. He threw the jab. Um, Trinaldo slipped inside the jab, landed the overhand right, dropped him. He basically like stanky legged and then fell down. Um, he was out. And he kind of woke up once he hit the ground. Herb Dean didn't jump in. And uh, there was a couple more punches that landed that couldn't. And then obviously Herb Dean jumped in. But Dan Hardy and Paul Felder were ripping apart Herb Dean saying, like, how are you not going to jump in? He was out from that punch. And I agree. Um, I do think that the fight should have been stopped. But, you know, it is what it is. And it sucks for the for uh, Jai Herbert because that's, da- that's extra damage that he didn't have to take. And damage in fights like these. Um, it only takes one or two extra punches to really cause um, some major issues for you later on in your life. So you never want to have an, a guy take more damage than is necessary. And I think that's something that definitely happened with Jai Herbert in this fight. He took one, two, three, four more punches than he should have. And uh, it should have just been a, a walk-off KO for Trinaldo. But big win for Trinaldo. Um, and yeah, that, that, that that's uh, that's really it. Um, let's talk about Brunson versus Shabazian. Um, Jennifer Maya defeats Joanne Calderwood via submission. Um, first round, four minutes, 29 seconds in. She gets the arm bar, um, locks it up. Um, Joanne Calderwood tries to stack her up, and she gets the arm bar, gets the submission. Um, tough loss for Joanne Calderwood because she was right on the cusp of getting a title shot against Valentina Shevchenko. I think we would we know how that would have played out now, seeing how easily Jennifer Maya disposed of her in the first round. Um, so yeah, Jennifer Maya, maybe she gets Valentina next. I honestly see that she could be on the brink of a title shot. Um, she's 18 and six, 18, six and one. So she has a decent record, you know, and that's just how it goes. Um, Lando Venata and Bobby Green, Bobby Green got the decision. Um, Venata, this was just crazy. I don't even really have time to break it down. It was, it was such a, it was such a crazy fight. Um, it was back and forth. It was, it was bananas, you know, um, just a lot of really awkward stuff from both guys. And uh, yeah, we're actually going to go to the second part, but it'll be on the same episode. So give me a second. All right, let's get into the fight that just happened this past weekend. And that is uh, Derek Brunson versus Edmund Shabazian. Um, You know, we could talk about a lot of things from this card. I mean, first off, Vicente Luque defeats Randy Brown via second round KO. Um, That was a great fight. There were a lot of very, very good things, uh, really good things that both guys did. You know, Randy Brown is very, very tall, and he loves to use the jab, which is the the lead foot. You, well, the lead hand, the left hand, obviously. The you set, you use your jab to set up everything, and I think that's the problem with a lot of guys in MMA nowadays. Is some guys won't use the jab to set up to set up their offense. They'll uh, 
they'll kind of fake a jab maybe and throw the right hand. Or maybe they'll fake a jab, throw a lead hook. Maybe they'll fake a jab just to get the opponent to bite. But rarely do you see people use the jab. There's very few. Conor McGregor, when he uses the jab, he doesn't do it often. Against Habib, he barely tried to use it. Um, but when he does use it, it works very well for him. Um, Vicente Luque, when he uses the jab, it works well for him. Randy Brown, he was using the jab the whole entire night. And uh, I'm actually going to look up some of the... Sorry for that, guys. Let's see. I want to get some highlights of this match just real quick. We can talk about it because I love Vicente Luque. I've been singing this guy's praises for a very, very long time. Um, I think he is one of the best guys at, at 170. He does take a lot of damage, but technical-wise on the feet, he's very, very good. Randy Brown, like I said, he's very tall, very lanky, very rangy, so he's going to be looking to to use his use his length to his advantage, keep you away, faint the jab, pop the jab, and move. So as he pops the jab, he moves over to his left. He angles with the jab, so he'll step, he'll jab and step left, jab, step left. You know who else does that? It's kind of, it's kind of like Muhammad Ali-esque because when Muhammad Ali would pop the jab, he would use it and he would circle to his left with the jab. When you circle to the left with your jab, the opponent might circle the other way and you can have an angle to, to land the right hand. Um, so that's what he tried to do, but Luke had a counter to it because the jab landed maybe a, one or two times, and then Luke started faking with his lead hand, and then whenever he'd throw the jab, he would he would cut kick. He would calf kick on the lead on the lead leg. So boom, wah, boom, ha, boom, ha. And every time he did that, you know, after two, three, four low kicks, you could see Randy Brown. Um, his legs are very, very, he's very tall, very lanky. So the calf kicks, you only need a couple of them to really take away your motion, take away your movement. Once you take away that lead leg, so as he jabbed the weights on your lead foot, boom, he caught, he lands that calf kick. Once you take away that, the, the ability to put pressure on your lead leg, you take away the jab and you take away the movement. This is going to play right into the game of Vicente Luque because he's going to want to close the distance and land those vicious punches, the overhand rights, the left hooks. And uh, right away, those low kicks were working. Um, Randy Brown, you could see, he tried to pick up his leg to check him, but since they were calf kicks, you know, it was a lot harder to check the kicks. Um, he tried to go with uppercuts up the middle. Vicente Luque timed him coming in, landed a right hand, dropped him. Jumped on him, got some ground and pound off, um, kind of worked a little bit from like a side control, looked like a cradle position actually. And then, uh, you know, just kind of worked from there and tried to beat him up. Um, Randy Brown, you know, regained full guard. I'm watching highlights as we go through this because there was some little tiny things that I really liked, but the main thing was taking away the, pre the the ability to put pressure on the lead leg for Randy Brown because he's so tall, lanky, and rangy. Those type of fighters need um, need to be able to use their jab. So even when Randy Brown would jab or stick that lead hand out, Vicente Luque would slip and then land that calf kick or land the low kick. That again, it's stopping Randy Brown in his tracks. It's making it harder for him to move and use his range. It was putting him up against the fence. Um, he had some decent head movement up against the fence. Um, some good ability to land the left hook. I believe he landed one or two good check left hooks against Luke. But Luke was just pressuring him. He was biding his time and eventually was going to find the way to get the finish. Um, Randy Brown tried to slip off the slip and then boom, Luke countered with that left hook. Luke's left hook is one of the best in the business. Training with Henry Hooft, um, his kickboxing is world-class. You saw it against Steven Thompson. Um, he had really good success in that fight, even though he lost. 
Um, and it was a pretty one-sided decision. He did strike with one of the best strikers in the division and hurt him on a couple of occasions. The low calf kick, though, was, uh, like I said, that was the main bread and butter for Luke. Then, obviously, um, when you get closer to the finish, um, he Luke pressured Brown. He pressured Randy Brown up against the cage. When he threw the jab, if he didn't throw the low kick, Luke would slip in and throw the left hook to counter the jab. So left hook and right low kick were probably the biggest weapons for Luke in the fight. He would jab off the jab. You know, Randy Brown would throw the jab. Luke would kind of slip and jab the same way. Let's get your head off the center line, come back in with the jab. So it's a jab for jab counter. Um, Again, with the calf kicks dropping Randy Brown. And then the finish came when Luke had him up against the fence. They were in a little bit of a uh, clinch exchange. If it's even on here, does it have the finish? Yeah, okay. So he had him up against the fence. He landed a right hand. Um, Brown slipped with it, but then Luke got the front headlock. Um, Brown went to put his hands down on the mat because if you have your hands down on the mat – you can't, um, the opponent can't throw knees to your head because you're technically a grounded opponent. But what Luke did is the second he saw Brown put his hands down to the mat, he lifted up a little bit, lifted Brown up. So even though he thought his hands were going to be able to touch, they were just inches away from the, from the mat. So he lifted him up and then boom, landed a knee up to the head and dropped him and got the KO. And I believe it was a second round knockout for the silent assassin, Vicente Luque. Um, this is a fight he shouldn't have taken to begin with, but he did. It was a risk and it paid off very well. He gets the second round. Um, he gets the, was it the second round or the third round? Yeah, he gets the second round knockout right at the end of the round. And uh, who he should fight next, I don't really know, but you need to give him a good opponent. I would maybe do... Uh, I think Luke versus the winner of Jeff Neal and Neil Magny. I think that's the the perfect fight. I think that Neil uh, Jeff Neal versus Vicente Luque was a fight you could have made right now, but without having to make Luque versus Brown or Jeff Neal versus Neil Magny. I think Vicente Luque versus Jeff Neal at 170 is one of the best fights you can make. Maybe they don't want to do it yet because they want to build up both guys and make them, you know, have a little bit more traction before they fight, but. I think if Jeff Neal gets past Neil Magny, he uh, he definitely gets the fight against um, Vicente Luque. So I think Luque versus Jeff Neal. But again, Neal's got to beat Magny on August 29th. I believe that the August 29th card, if I'm wrong, let me let me actually look so I can pull it up. Um, UFC August 29th at 178. No, that's September 12th. I want a different one. UFC Fight Night. Oh, is it 177? 22nd. UFC Fight Night 178. September 12th. Huh. I'm going to try to pull it up. Sorry, guys, for the lack of discussion. But, uh, again, I guess we could talk about some other stuff. I mean, before anything, um, let's talk about, obviously, the main event, Brunson versus Shabazi. And we don't have to talk about the other fights. That could be for another episode um, later on in the week. So I'm probably going to have two or three episodes of the audio podcast this week just to make up 
for um, the lack of episodes in the last seven to 10 days. So yeah, we're definitely going to have more content coming for you this week. But uh, let's talk about Brunson versus Shabazian. Derek Brunson defeats Edmund Shabazian via a third round knockout 26 seconds into the round basically knocked him out at the end of the second round I don't I can't believe the referee let that fight continue he basically was out the the bell rang or the buzzer went off he woke up and the fight continued um I don't agree with that I think that uh, Edmund Shabazian was knocked out in that fight um definitely 100% he was out cold he was on queer street he was knocked out um, let's look up some highlights because there were some very, very solid things that Shabazian did and very, and it's also some very good things that Brunson did. And Brunson looked great in this fight way. He looked re rejuvenated, revigorated training with, uh, I believe he's with Henry Hooft now and, uh, training with Henry Hooft, I think is really just, uh, you know, made him establish his game to a different level than it was previously. And you could see it. He's on a three fight win streak. Um, just beat Shabazi, and so he's probably going to get a big name next. Probably, uh, I could see him getting Jack Hermanson, um, but I'm not 100% sure that's what's going to happen. I think we have to see what happens with Yoel Romero and Uriah Hall, which is supposedly, I think that fight's in September. It might be August, but uh, I, I want to say that it's in September. All these fights kind of jumble together because there's so many fights going on, but Let's talk about Brunson versus Shabazian. And it was another, it was another factor of, you know, outside foot dominance. You know, who was going to be able to establish the outside foot? Um, Shabazian, you know, he's 22 years old. The kid's a phenom, phenom. 11 and 0. He came into this fight undefeated against a veteran like Brunson. And I think a lot of people thought that Shabazian was going to run through Brunson. Brunson's chin wasn't there, but uh, he shut it all down. He he shut it all down real, real quick and proved to us that he's not a flash in the pan and he's ready to go back and finally make another, maybe one final run. And who knows even a final run, but make a final run at the title. And uh, Shabazian was trying to, you know, the, the first round was pretty like low key, like even keel. Like there wasn't much that happened. Um, Brunson was trying to land that straight left down the middle. And then Edmund Shabazian was trying to counter the left hand by slipping inside and landing the check left hook of Brunson on that lead side. So as Brunson tried to come in with that left hook, left hand down the middle, if he didn't set it up, um, Shabazian would slip inside, which would slip to the left, load his left hip, and then make him have the ability to land the check left hook as he stepped in. Um, kicks to the body were a big factor for Edmund Shabazian. I think that was probably one of the biggest factors that, or the biggest success points he had in the fight was that right kick to the body against Brunson. And Brunson had some good ability to land kicks to the body of his own on Shabazian, you know, landing that left kick to the body, which would land on the liver of the orthodox opponent. So it is what it is. And, and you know, Brunson looked good, and he, he established his wrestling early on. It wasn't easy for him to get the takedowns, but he made it a factor. And even if he didn't get the takedowns, he would enter the clinch positions, and then he would break off the clinch and land punches off the clinch breaks. So he was using his wrestling to set up his striking offense. And that's really what tired out Shabazian. That's what tricked up Shabazian, I think. You know, that was one of the biggest things that I think – played into the hands of Derek Brunson. Um, Shabazian constantly was trying to land shots to the body, knees to the body, left hooks to the body against Brunson. Brunson was slipping and trying to counter with the left hand. He was trying to land kicks to the body, and he was trying to use his wrestling. But the straight left hand was the, the most powerful weapon that Brunson was looking to use. 
and his grappling, you know, I gave the first round to Edmund. I think it was close, but towards the second round is where Brunson really started to pick it up. And you could see it right from the beginning. Um, Brunson would kind of slap the lead left hand of Shabazi and control that hand, which helps him make take that step out to his right, get the outside foot, and then set up the straight left hand, like we talked about earlier with Whitaker versus Darren Till. It's basically the same story, um, just a different fight. And Shabazi, and like I said, he was trying to counter the jab over the jab of Derek Brunson, over that right jab with the check left hook. So as he threw the jab, he'd slip inside and land the left hook over the top. Um, Shabazian does have a lot of power. For 22 years old, he has a lot of potential. This is his first loss in his career. Um, but he was really just getting tired in that second round. And then at the end, when he basically got finished, and but it went to the third, I mean, they shouldn't have even let that fight continue. But some good knees from the clinch from Derek Brunson. But he really just kind of became calmer as the fight went on and let kind of let Edmund Shabazzian kind of blow himself out. Just let him wear himself out, find his openings, come in with that straight left hand, set it up, use his wrestling and his and his clinch control to try to beat him up. And that's what he did. Um, here, let's see. We're gonna watch some more highlights. He got him up against the fence, and he would break the clinch, go right hook, left hook, right hook, straight left, rip to the body. Then Shabazian would shoot in. This was just taking the air out of Shabazian, landing that good left kick to the body. Um, as he tried to land the straight left, sometimes Shabazian would slip over the top, try to land the right hand. Um, Shabazian is a good striker, but I think Brunson's game plan was just too much. Um, he landed a 1-1 straight left up against the fence, and that's really what hurt Shabazi, and he got hit. You kind of saw him freeze and just kind of slip lackadaisically, and uh, he was getting popped with shot, pop, 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 and then Brunson would tie him up in the over-under, um, punch him to the body, knees to the thighs, just really wearing him out, and then eventually trying to get takedowns um, in the clinch, he used that, that trip. So the body lock to the pull him in, trip out the legs, get on top. He was inside control, um, had good control. You could see at that point that he was just overtaking Shabazian with his wrestling and his top control and, uh, landing up underneath the armpit, landing uppercuts to the head. And then when he got in top control at the end of the second round in a half guard position, he was able to, uh, posture up from that half guard. And, uh, that's where he landed the vicious elbows which cut Edmund Shabazian and basically knocked him out cold. He got he got knocked out pretty much. I mean, he was he he got hit one two elbow elbow boom boom boom. He his hands were down. He looked like he was out, but Herb Dean didn't stop it. And uh, I believe he got knocked out at the end of that second round. hundred percent, the fight should have been stopped, but they went into the third. Brunson was all confident. He lands a low kick. You could see Shabazian trying to circle away. Obviously, Brunson's going to try to slap that lead hand down and land the straight left down the center. And uh, that's exactly what happened. You know, he uh, he timed it, um, parried down the lead hand, landed the straight left hand on on Shabazian. Put him up against the fence, took him down, took his back, beat him up with ground and pound, and the ref stopped it. So Derek Brunson gets the win via a third-round knockout over Edmund Shabazian. And you know what's next for him? I don't know. We already talked about kind of what I think should be next for him. I think maybe give him the winner of – you could give him Jack Hermanson. Um, if you don't give him Jack Hermanson, give him the winner of – Yoel Romero versus Uriah Hall. I think that's kind of up there, but I think Uriah Hall. Okay. Here's what I think. I think the winner of Uriah Hall and Yoel Romero are more than likely going to be fighting. Um, What's the other middleweight fight that's, that's happening. So we got Costa versus Adesanya. We just had Till versus Whitaker. Now Whitaker's fighting Cannoneer. 
So, I mean, Whitaker and Cannoneer, we've got Adesanya versus Costa. I would do, I would do uh, Jack Hermanson versus Derek Brunson. I think that's a good, good fight. And then maybe you do Till versus the winner of Romero and Hall. Yeah, I think that's what you got to do. I think that's good. Till versus the winner of Uriah Hall. Yoel Romero, we got Whitaker versus Cannoneer, we got Adesanya versus Costa, and let's do Brunson versus Jack Hermanson. And then we have uh, Omari Akhmadov fighting Chris Weidman down here in a minute. Um, who he fights, I'm not sure. I don't think that's anywhere in the top 10, but we'll see. And uh, yeah, guys, that's really all I have for today. I just wanted to get back on the podcast, get back on the grind, get some content out for you guys. Um, thank you guys for listening. Um, please put this out anywhere you can because we've been off for a while. Our audience has gone down. Our plays have gone down because we haven't made a podcast. It's all about consistency. And I have not been consistent these last week, this last week, week and a half. So make sure to help me out. Um, get me out to anybody you can, your friends, your boyfriends, your girlfriends, your brothers, your sisters, your aunts, your uncles, your coworkers, anybody you train with. If you train in martial arts, get it out to your training partners, get it out to your coaches, um, put it on your social media, your Twitter, your Instagram. Um, if you want to tag me on Twitter, my Twitter handle is armbar nation, capital A, capital N three, one, six. If you want to tag me on Instagram, it's glorious G L O R G L O R I O U S M A N D M glorious M and M on Instagram. Um, those are my Twitter and Instagram handles. Um, tag me on YouTube, put me out, get me out there for anybody you can without the audience and without the support, then we don't have anything guys. So thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in again to my one wrestling buddy who keeps asking me, Vinny, the podcast will be out for wrestling this week. I'll probably have three episodes, one wrestling and one more on MMA, probably the predictions for the fights that are happening um, this weekend. But thank you guys for listening. This has been uh, Double M from the Touch Em Up podcast, and I'm out. Have a good night, everybody, all right?